Welcome to the Freedom Club Podcast. We're your hosts, Renee and Marley, two best friends connected through our shared passion for freedom. Through building multiple six-figure businesses, we have created a life of time, location, and financial independence, and we are here to help you do the same. Our mission is to share the lessons we and other successful entrepreneurs have learned along the way to teach and inspire you to take the leap and say yes to your freedom lifestyle. Thanks for tuning in and now enjoy the show. All right, welcome back everyone to the next episode of the Freedom Club podcast. I hope everyone enjoyed last week learning about why we started the Freedom Club and our first podcast ever. And so I'm so excited to start recording our second podcast. And today we're going to be talking all about our beautiful co-founder Renee's story to entrepreneurship and her freedom life. And we're going to walk through the highs, the lows, the ups, the downs, sideways, everything. (laughs) (laughs) And so we can just be inspired and really motivated by Renee's story because she has a very incredible story. And I'm so excited to share it with you today because, Renee, have you really shared your story like publicly yet? No, not really. I think I spoke a little bit on one of your podcasts. Yeah. In the past. Yeah. But... And also a couple of other podcasts, like Susie's podcast. Yeah. But um, no, until recently, I've actually kind of kept mine a little more. See, you've always kind of built your own personal brand, whereas I've kind of been proactively behind the scenes, which <laughs> <laughs> I'm now realizing maybe wasn't my best idea. But We're very proud of Renee. Renee's stumbling out of her comfort zone a lot this past week. But you would never know. Like, I don't think anyone would ever know that. That you, like... I know. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let's hop right into it. So let's start at kind of like when your entrepreneurial, I guess, like tick started, you know, like, did you ever have that feeling of, okay, I want to be a business owner. When did that start for you? Oh, that's a good question. I, because this is the thing, right? You hear all these sort of conflicting stories. Some people say, oh, you're a born entrepreneur or, you know, I do think anyone technically to some extent could be, but I do think I was probably to some extent, quote unquote, born for it. So Mm. even as a little kid, my mum said I was like always hustling. So like I had all these mini businesses when I was like five, six years old. Some of them like borderline criminal now that I look at it. (laughs) Like I would go and like. What was it? Well, I'd like pick all the flowers out of all these people's like gardens, (laughs) like private home gardens, then like tie them up in ribbons and then sell them back to the person whose house I've just stole them out of. (laughs) Like, I just go talk, knocking on the door and be like, do you want to buy a bunch of flowers maybe for your wife? Or And it's like, it's just come from their, like, backyard. Yeah, their garden's, like, empty. They're like, yeah. oh, you're the rabbit we thought that was eating. <laughs> and then there was, like, a golf course near my house and the driving range. I would go and, like, pick all the balls off the driving range, put them in a bucket, then sit at the, like, drive entrance street into where their driving range was and sell the balls, <laughs> which I think is also – Sammy probably stealing, I don't know, but I was like really naive. I think I thought I was helping slash trying to just hustle some cash. You know what it is? Like you always see an opportunity. Exactly. I was like, all these balls are going away. I think they probably ended up picking them up. Like obviously now that I know how driving ranges work. But at the time I would just see these balls getting hit away. I was like, oh my God, what a waste. I could sell those to people. Yeah, someone's like, we've lost $5,000 and just like lost (laughs) balls. Like Renee just like pocketing that money at five years old. (laughs) And then all the classic like, 
fruit stands. Like in New Zealand, we've got a fruit called Fijoas and they just grow like everywhere. Oh my like, God, I've on, never heard of that. Oh my God, it's literally one of my favorite fruits in the whole world. Wow. I think, there's the, I think they're in one other country when I looked it up last. But Wait, what does it taste like? Oh my God, it's so hard to explain. I'd almost say it's like somewhere between a like banana and a passion fruit. Oh, that's probably the, the weirdest fuck description. description. <laughs> Anyone who knows what a Wait, pa- ew, that's like... Why I'm gonna show you sexual? a photo. Like it's, it looks gross. They're like these little green things, and you cut them, and then you just peel them out on the spoon. They are honestly so delicious. Wait, is it a kiwi? Not really. Ish. No, not really. <laughs> Imagine if it's just another one for a kiwi. Yeah. No, we call those kiwi fruit as well. But anyway, so then I would like bag those up because those you can just like they just grow everywhere. Wow, interesting. So then I would go and pick those and sell those and back. Just I was always doing something, and then I'd even like bring all these little ideas back to my mum. Like I don't know how I would convince her of some of the stuff. But my brother like hated school, whereas I was like a bit of a like overachiever. So I convinced my mum once because my brother wasn't doing very well that she needed to incentivize him. And my brother's five years older than me, so I was like, why don't you make it where? For every A he gets, he gets like $10 or something. And she's like, oh, that's not a bad idea. And I was like, well, you'd have to do it for me as well, obviously, because that's yeah. not fair. She's like, all right. So then our report cards are coming out. If you're there, like 10, 20, 30, 40. Yeah. <laughs> and my brother would be getting like 20 bucks. And she'd just look at me like, you little shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I managed to buy like a big screen TV, I think, when I was like eight, like for my bedroom, <laughs> just from all the money I was like hustling, basically. So yeah, my mom, my mom seems to think that she had a feeling that I was always going to be doing something like that. And then getting into corporate, I started in kind of like sales type roles, which arguably sales and business development is, in my opinion, maybe close-ish to having a business in the sense that you kind of run your own like territory. You've got a cold call. You've got to develop your own kind of like, you know, sort of process and it's very like self kind of motivated and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I think, but to answer the question, sorry, that was a really roundabout way of no, I love learning about Getting to the, about my kiwi fruit. No. I didn't know that, job. like stealing the golf balls. <laughs> um, I always had the itch. I just, I've always had a problem with authority my whole life. <laughs> Even at school, I couldn't stand being told what to do. Yeah. I, my mum, you know how most kids, like I always hear these stories, people are like, oh, the kids are always waking me up first thing in the morning. That just was not the case for me. My mum used to have to come in, pull all the blankets off my bed, take all the pillows, like literally take everything from the room out of the room. And I would just still lie there, like basically stark naked, freezing cold, just refusing to get out of bed. Like you just couldn't get me up to save your life. As soon as the alarm went off, I was just like, nope, like no, thank you. You said that in the previous podcast. Yeah. I told you it's just, it, it's the worst sound in the world to me. It's the devil's scream. <laughs> it's the devil's scream. Yeah, <laughs> That's the best thing I've ever heard it be called. <laughs> it is literally what it sounds like. So yeah, short answer. Yeah, I think I always knew. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to work for myself. Yeah. So fast forward, Renee kind of jumped around. Well, I should probably let you tell your story, but <laughs> you ended you ended up in England through your partner, who was a professional rugby player. Yeah. And you found yourself working in corporate in England, and was it a kind of like hate it from the beginning, or was it a slow burn to being like fuck this? It was always a slow... I, I think I just always hated corporate, to be honest. Like, I think the problem was every corporate... Because I was in corporate in Australia as well. And I would constantly jump jobs. Either I would try and get a promotion because I would think every promotion I got, I would be like, oh, when I get that, I'll be happier because of ABC. And then I'd get there and almost instantaneously I'd be like, I still hate it. 
Mm. And I'd be like, that job, I'll get that one. And then I'd change company and then I'd change company and then I'd change industry. And like I was in like media and advertising in the beginning, then I moved into banking and finance. And then I moved into data and analytics. And like, I would just constantly move around. And then I started in sales and I moved into operations and then I moved into management. Like, and it didn't matter how high up the ladder I got. Cause I was, I was fortunate in that I'm a fast learner and I kind of was a bit of a natural. So I would pick things up quite quickly, but just, it just never got better. I just never enjoyed it. Even once I, I ran my own department. So in London, my job was, um, running a data department. So like there was like five or six departments in a big, like a really large um, international company. So I ran the data and analytics department. So I had like an entire team. I was completely responsible for the whole business unit. And I would have thought that would have excited me to an extent. It was probably the closest I got because I could outsource things to my team and all that sort of thing, but still hated it. Like just never didn't hate it. (laughs) So that's like, I actually literally can never picture you working in corporate so this is like another lifetime of Renee it feels like a lifetime ago but what specifically did you hate about it like what was so like out of like what am I trying to say what wasn't aligning for you with it Mm. what felt out of alignment for you I think to be honest the most frustrating thing for me because I actually found this more frustrating as I got into management as well is the UK particularly more so than Australia are very traditional and old-fashioned in the way that they run their operations so it's like you will have let's say my team at the time was maybe like 12 and of that 12 some people learn faster some people are more talented in certain areas some people are more interested so therefore they're going to excel etc etc they have these really regimented like structure and steps of okay if you do this position for this amount of time then you tick abc box then you get promoted and there was no relevance to all of the nuance of you know different people's skill sets and everything else and they would have these like very confined boxes of okay you need to recruit for this role and it just doesn't make any sense whereas since having my own businesses I kind of like you obviously have things that need to get done but I prefer to hire the person and then either teach them but also give them roles allocated to their natural interests and skill sets Mm -hmm. there's just no room for that in corporate and I just found the whole structure just so frustrating and it just doesn't make any sense. It's inefficient. It it just doesn't, I don't get how they think it is, you know, conducive to success in any way, shape or form. It makes everyone miserable. The like structure just makes everything slower. There's no innovation. Like, and then you put in that generic structure of nine to five, which again, just makes no sense. It's like, I don't know how you can ever think you get 250 people on an office. They all wake up and from nine to five are equally as productive. They all want to eat lunch at 12 o'clock. It just make it, it doesn't work. Mm. So you get like, it's so funny. I would get more out of people who've worked for my businesses part-time than I got out of my staff full-time, but you're paying them twice as much because they're working full-time, but they just don't have any of the control. And, you know, we would pull internet history, which everyone be warned. That is very legal. It's in your contract when you sign up for a company that they can pull all of your like um, search history, browser history, because you're on a like work computer. And whenever we had issues with like, you know, trying to see people like slacking or whatever, you pull their internet history. And it's mind blowing how much time people spend just like during work hours, scrolling like the daily mail or like just like Facebook, all of the, like, a lot of businesses now block social media sites, but they'll find loopholes. Like, they'll be on 
articles on LinkedIn, like just anything that has no relevance to their job. So you're paying someone eight, nine, 10 hours a day, and they're probably productive two hours, three hours. Mm. Some people are an exception, but you get a lot of people slacking. Just the whole structure, just I didn't enjoy it. That get here at X time and, you know, and there'd be situations where I would be working my ass off and I might have worked 10, 11 hours that day. To me, it makes sense that I should then have the flexibility the next day to adjust my schedule accordingly. But if you work for a company that they always, it always seems to work on the side of the company as well, never on the side of the employee. <laughs> yeah. And then just being told you get four weeks annual leave a year. Like out of 52 weeks, I'm allowed four weeks of my own life back. Oh my gosh, do you know in Canada and North America it's two? That blows my that should be illegal. When I two? hear four weeks, I'm like, wow, that's a lot. Two. I think it's actually five in England. Two out of the whole year. How do people survive? <laughs> well, I know there's a lot of people listening being like, I know. It's oh my, crazy. That's horrible. You can't take 50 weeks of someone's life. That's the other thing is I had some companies that wouldn't even let me take leave without pay. I'm like, don't even pay me. Like, yeah. just let me leave. No. <sighs> yeah. So that's- I'm sure. Yeah. A lot of people listening are probably like, okay, I, t- I, I get it. I know what you're thinking. So when did you start thinking about leaving corporate? What was that journey? I think I always wanted to. My problem was, this is where I think you and I have spoken before, where we've been slightly different, is you had a very obvious passion and skill set that you could monetize. Like you were like, I'm very creative. I love graphic design. I love building websites and brands, etc. Perfect. This is a very organic kind of process for me to now start a business that I love and that I'm passionate about. For me, I was always like, my ex used to joke I was the most passionate, passionless person. Like, (laughs) I never had, like, a technical passion, you know? Like, I wasn't someone who was like, oh, my God, I just absolutely love nutrition or I just absolutely love tennis or, like, anything really. I loved a whole bunch of things generally, but, like, I didn't really have anything that I could kind of hang my hat on and be like, this is my thing. Like, I want to turn this into a business. My passion was business, weirdly, even before I had one. I was just so intrigued by, like, anyone who'd started a business, what they did, like creating lifestyle, all that sort of thing. So I always wanted to, I think, to be honest, the thing that held me back longer than anything was I didn't know what to start. Mm. Like for me, the fear thing less so because I'm naturally quite, um, I'm not very risk averse at all. Mm. Like not a lot really scares me. So it was more just, I genuinely couldn't think of anything to do that. I was like, what? and especially because all my corporate jobs were so corporate, like they weren't really things that you could, monetize on your own you know mm-hmm. like um so but I think when it really started becoming a reality is my partner as you say is a professional athlete and they're so sort of tied to the location depending on where they get their contracts and their team obviously and so I hated where he was um signed the club he was signed to the area was just so dull it was just not for me I mean I didn't really love England generally but London was at least the best case of the bad bunch um, so we were doing long distance and that just got quite difficult and also just got a bit shit. Like mm. we just wanted to live together, wanted to spend time together. Um, so then it started to get to the point that that was getting too difficult, but my corporate job wasn't in the city that we were in for his career. And I had always gone on and on and on about starting my own business. So he was like, well, this is the time. Like you're sick of living there. I'm sick of you living there. Just start your own business now. And then, you know, kind of, and so that was sort of the point that I was like, yeah, okay, that's it. I'm just going to do it. And then what made you go into swim? Well, so I, I would say I went into e-commerce more so than the, the product came post the 
the business model. Okay, talk about that. Yeah, so this is what I think we sort of briefly touched on in the first one. For me, I built for scale and freedom right from the beginning. And so the thing that's maybe let me down in some areas, don't get me wrong, I love my business, but not as much as I can already tell I love this one. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just not the same aligned passion for me. But where I did do, I think, a good job is I built for freedom. So I basically mm-hmm. looked at it and I was like, what? And actually, like as much as people can give the Tim Ferriss four-hour work week grief now, I think it's kind of a bit overdone or whatever. It's become a bit tokenistic. I thank that book for that process because I essentially looked at, well, read that and was like, right, this is what I, like that resonated with me in the sense that he'd created a lifestyle as opposed to like just talking about like building some boring business. And so for me, that's exactly what I wanted. I was like, okay, what am I looking for? Well, I'm looking for my life back. I'm looking for freedom of, I want something that I don't have to be in any one location. And then number two, I want as much of my, like I want scalability. So scalability, I guess, is essentially the more revenue you get. It doesn't, your sort of fixed costs don't scale at the same rate, essentially. So like, you know, I can start making more money without having to pay more money in staffing and all those sorts of things. So for me, that was kind of how I got to the business model. I was like, I sort of analyzed a few different things because I was looking at doing consulting at one point because ironically, actually, I was really, one of the things that I found frustrating, especially in the corporate career in my management roles was women. There was like this huge gap in like where women got to in higher level roles. Part of it was because they sort of ducked out in this period to have a family. But then another part of it was confidence and like not being sort of not wanting to ask for things. And that's a whole nother conversation. But I really wanted to do like coaching and training with women in corporate to try and bring them further up the ladder to sort of balance out that discrepancy. So I was speaking to my director at the time about creating something for that. And I was going to do that actually. But then again, I just kept looping back where I was like, okay, this is a service. It's based on my time. I can't scale it. So then I just sort of kept coming back to e-commerce. And then the swimwear thing actually was there was just a massive hole in the market in the UK. Like they have a very strong fast fashion market, which is like, you know, cheap kind of 10, 20 bucks. And then they've got a lot of like high fashion. So like very expensive brands, but they tend to be very old fashioned and traditional. There was like nothing in the middle for me, which was like really good quality, really like sort of fashion forward, but also in that like middle price range. Like I didn't want to spend 200 pounds on a bikini. That's like 400 bucks. Like, yeah, but there was like 400 bucks and then there was like 20 bucks. And I was like, well, that's a bit gross. It's like cheap. It looks cheap. You feel cheap wearing it. So and there was just nothing in the UK and there's huge import costs and everything else. So that was kind of what led me to that was, again, just crunching the numbers on it and going, right, this is a need that I have. Other people might also have it. Is this profitable? Is this scalable? And then how does it work? And then I just tested it and then it worked. And so then before I knew it, I just had that business. Like I didn't mm. even really know if I necessarily thought that hard about it being my long-term thing, if that makes sense. Right. It was more just like an a means to get you a vehicle to get you out of corporate and yeah. give you that location financial freedom. Exactly. Not financial location. Yeah. Cool. Well, and financial. Yeah, I guess financial. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? It's it's really interesting because obviously I know your story, but I feel like asking these questions, even though I know the answer, I'm getting I'm learning yeah. a lot about you. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. So Renee, you started a swimwear line, which is like my favorite swimwear line. I'm not just saying that, and. So how long would you say that it took you and 
what was the vibe when you first started like that startup how were you feeling when you like because you just left corporate was that a big leap for you or was it like oh like f it i'm just gonna do this you know Honestly, I was so fed up at that point. Like yeah. I'd really gotten to breaking point where I was at the, I had realized it actually does not matter if I get another promotion because actually I'd gotten relatively high up and there was like two people above me maybe before the CEO or something. And so I was like, right, what's my end goal here? And I'm looking at them. So it's like, okay, the trajectory is I could essentially move into this role. So I was looking at my boss's job and she used to say to me like, you know, I see you taking this mm. job from me in the next year or two. And I was just like, that looks absolutely horrible. Like, I don't want that. You're stressed out your brains. You're here like 15 hours a day. No, thanks. And so I think that was the point I just realized I just had enough. So I wasn't really afraid to do it because I they, I think it's Tony Robbins always says it's determination or desperation that will get you to like take action. Mm. For me, it was just desperation at that point. I was just so sick to death of waking up and just being like, I fucking hate this. <laughs> that I had enough um so the vibe to be honest was just massive relief at first like it's scary making the decision because I'd worked so hard ironically like I'd still actually worked really hard to get where I had so it's terrifying to jump off the ladder because you have all those fears of like if I jump off I'm gonna have to start back down here and then I'm gonna have to do it all again and what if it doesn't work and what am I gonna do and at that point I had no idea and you're just like oh god like you know all those sort of fears are rolling around in your head but the minute I jumped off and I knew like, I think my last day was like a Friday or something. And I was getting on the train back to where we lived because it's like miles from London. And I was just like, Oh my God, I never have to go back there again. And the thought that I was going to get to wake up on Monday when I wanted and just have a hot minute to myself, I was like, this is the best. I just knew in my gut I'd made the right choice. Like it was just relief, like massive relief at first. Then you go into the desperate, sorry, the determination mode. Because then after I'd like, I might have, it's funny actually, because I think my mum even was a little bit like, oh, you just kind of muck around for a bit now. Like she's like, don't get too comfortable, you know? And I'm like, no, 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 I won't. And I was worried too, because I had convinced myself I was lazy because I was so unhappy in my jobs. I had no motivation for it that every single thing I did in my job, I had to force myself to do. Mm. I never did anything because I wanted to in a job. So I think I had literally gotten it in my head. I was like, I'm actually inherently a lazy person. So that was probably also another fear of mine about starting a business. And I was like, oh, I'm actually quite lazy. Like, am I really going to be able to make this work? I was always like, I'm smart. Because even at uni, like, I would get A's and not really try and not really go to lessons. So I kind of rested on my laurels a bit that I would pick things up quite quickly. And I was like, oh, but like, I don't know how to run a business. So because I'm lazy, am I really going to be able to figure this out? And then it was so funny. I was probably off work maybe a week or two. And I was like instantly just like, okay, I want to do something. Like I was just so ready to do it. And then it just turned into determination. I was like, right, I love this. I absolutely hated that. I need to make sure I don't fucking go back. Because there's just, by that point, I was like, I've had a sniff of the outside world. I'm not going back. So... Because a lot of people listening are going to be in the position that you were working in corporate Mm. or just not even corporate, just in a job that they don't, isn't lighting them up. Yeah. What is one piece of advice you would give them to someone who's listening, who wants to leave their job, but just hasn't yet? This is, I always find this a really tough question because everybody's different. So like, it's funny, actually, my, my boyfriend and I are so different in our like risk palette (laughs) what would you have told yourself yeah so a version of me who's like very risk averse no not very risk averse 
I would just be like, just jump, you'll figure it out and you will never regret it. And that's kind of how I've always had a gung-ho approach to life. That works for me for sure. And I I think it is the, like I said, the desperation or determination genuinely, like you're never going to get yourself. What is the, no, actually I would say do the like fair setting exercise, which is like, what is the absolute worst case scenario? So like for me, the worst case scenario would have been, okay, worst case scenario, I try something, it fails, I have no money, I've got nowhere to live because I couldn't pay rent, I've made a fool of myself because I tried and I failed, um, I can't get another corporate job or, you know, I'm sorry, I've gotten rid of my jobs and then I don't have that anymore, blah, 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 right? Go through this whole thing of like absolute worst case scenario. Reality is the worst case scenario like almost never happens. Then it's like, okay, cool, worst case scenario. Right, what could I do if all those worst case scenarios happen? It's like, okay, could I get another job? Well, yeah, probably. There's, mm. I've never, the unemployment rate's like three fucking percent. Mm. Like if you're on the bottom three percent of society, I mean, it's probably quite high at the moment. I know there's obviously issues with COVID and stuff like that. So it's a slightly different story than when I was looking at it. You know, it's like, okay, I'll be able to get another job. So what have I lost? Three months of my life maybe that I tried. What is the opposite of that? Well, the worst case scenario for me actually was if I never try and I just spend another three years sitting in my job going, oh, maybe, what if I did this? What if I did that? And then just wasting more time. So that would be my advice. Just look at it, go worst case scenario, how could I mitigate all of those risks if they were to actually come true? And then is that worth the, sorry, then you go into the upside. So, okay, what's the best case scenario? Because then that's the stuff that gets you excited. So you're like, okay, best case scenario I start a business, I make a million bucks a year, I get to travel the world, I never have to go to an office again, I never use an alarm clock. I was, like, if you say something like that to yourself, you're like, oh, fuck yes, that's worth the downside of maybe having to get another job and being unemployed for three months and having to live at my parents' house. Like, everyone's, that's the other thing, like, we all live in the first world. Everyone's got a mate's couch they can crash on. Everyone can live on two-minute noodles if they need to. Like, you're not going to die. Like, the worst-case scenario is not death, so you're fine. Elon Musk actually lived off two minute noodles i think something insane like a year or something yeah probably because he was building spacex and tesla yeah Yeah, i I heard that i was like i'm just like i know about nutrition so i'm like how did he have the brain power if i don't eat (laughs) vegetables i'm like i'm like walking into walls (laughs) yeah actually i don't recommend yeah but (laughs) but elon musk did it um okay so Thank you. That was actually really good advice. I know that's going to resonate with a lot of people. And so then you went into building Odin Wright and then you moved to Bali. So yeah, were you scared to move to Bali alone? Uh, that one maybe slightly more. Not really. I mean, yeah, probably a little. I mean, look, it's it's always scary and it's always a little like sad and you feel a little bit alone. And, but I've, again, I think my risk palette's a little bit different maybe to most because I moved out of home at 14. So like, I've always been quite independent. I moved out of the country that I was born in at 18. I've then moved countries multiple times. I've moved major cities multiple times. Like yeah. the moving thing, it's like, it's a muscle, right? You kind of get better and better at it, but yeah, moving. Do you know what? Actually, no, I will say as well. I think what sort of alleviated the fear was I was coming here for work. And every time I got here, I just never wanted to leave. And I just felt something in my gut that I was like, I just want to be here. Like, I'm the best version of myself here. I'm not the best version of myself in England. And I think I might have said this to you before, but I sort of looked at it like if your life is a pie. And the reason I was in England was basically just my relationship. Um, my partner is amazing. It was amazing. He's still an amazing person, but he's not my partner now. But 
that part was great. But let's say that's like 10% of my, well, let's say 25% of my pie. The whole rest of the pie was shit. Whereas in Bali, I'd come here for work or on holiday and I was like, my whole pie, except for the relationship, is amazing. So like, I was just so much happier. Everything, my health was better. My mental health was better. I was physically feeling great. I was just stimulated. I just, everything felt good, except obviously I missed my partner. And I think for me, it just, I was just at a point in my life where I just wasn't really willing to sacrifice my life and my happiness anymore. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. I just basically had to make a decision where it was like, I have to put myself first. And so we actually didn't break up when I first moved, but I was just like, look, I need to do this for myself for a little while. And then it just became more and more apparent that his career was going to be continuing for the next however many years. And I wasn't really prepared to live in England. So that kind of was that. And to be honest, I just never really looked back. It was hard. Don't get me wrong. It was really difficult. Like the first probably at least three months, but maybe easily up to as much as six. But I just do not regret it at all. Because it's not, do you know what's worse? It was still not as hard as just the misery of knowing I wasn't living up to my potential. Mm. And just sitting there going, what if, what if, what if? Like, that's horrible being in that place. Like, for me, that's, I, I wouldn't, that for me, everybody's different. But for me, that's soul destroying. Like, sitting there going, could I be doing something bigger? Am I meant for more than this? Like, my life just felt so fucking ordinary. <laughs> like I was just wake up, do the same shit as everyone else, eat at the same fucking cafe, talk about like things I don't care about around people I'm not really stimulated by. I, the weather was dog shit. Like I just felt so mediocre. And it just, for me, you get one life. I was just like, fuck, if this is my life, like this is my one life, this is pretty average. Mm. I was like, fuck that. <laughs> I really love that about you, one of the many things, because when you see something in your life that isn't 100%. Mm, you're the same, though. Yeah, definitely. That, but <laughs> we relate on this. But you change it. Yeah. And where do you think that comes from? I actually really, I would love to know this. I think you and I spoke about this once when we were at Lavella, maybe. But what is the difference between people who do kind of make changes and people who don't like is it are you born with it I I don't know is it like a fear thing I genuinely think it's a muscle right like I think that the more you step into the fear you basically what happens okay something scares you and you're like oh god I'm scared but I want to do it but I'm terrified you've managed to push yourself into it you do it and then you get a positive result from it and then that builds confidence so then your confidence is now stronger. So then doing the scary thing next time is actually slightly less scary because you now have like something in your subconscious which says, or not even your subconscious, even your conscious mind that says, well, yeah, you were scared last time. Remember when you did that thing and look how good that turned out. And you're like, oh yeah, fair. Actually, that was totally, su- that was such a good thing. Okay, now I'm going to do it again. So I think you just get better and better and better at it. Would I say it's ever like a hundred percent easy? No, of course not. Everything still scares you to some extent, but I think, it's more just that you have a bank of things to rely on to go, no, 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 this always feels scary at this time, but I know it always works out. And or even when it doesn't technically work out at the time, it always leads you somewhere better, you know, like, and you can't avoid, you can't avoid pain. So it's just choosing what kind of pain you want. The pain of staying the same, the pain of wondering what if for me is far worse than the pain of, okay, I don't know what's going to happen here. I'm going to try and I might fail. Mm. This brings me to a theory, not my theory. (laughs) Um, Tim Grover says something where he says, everyone's scared, but people who are successful, quote unquote, don't have doubt. 
And I think the more you step into the fear, the doubt vanishes. And so everyone's scared. Like, he works with people like Michael Jordan, Kobe. He he talks to them. They all are scared. People are scared. Things are scary. But do they doubt themselves? No. And Mm. that's something that I think you've really stepped into is really eliminating that doubt for yourself. But you do that from doing it exactly yeah from building the confidence from doing it but then even then you might do it once fail do it another time fail do it a third time succeed perfect yeah you get a little bit of confidence and then it kind of builds from there i guess right and then you stop doubting yourself that's where i think you and i both have that is we don't really doubt ourselves so we both always do things that scare ourselves but we never kind of think like oh but what if we won't achieve this or I always think it's just, I know you say this a lot as well. It's not rejection, it's redirection. Mm. So if I try something, it doesn't work. Why just take that as like, okay, well, that's not the way I do it. Maybe I try and do it this way. Okay, that didn't work either. That's because it's not right. And then I go this way. And you say something, you told me once. Oh, also Tim said this, but you said this. Everyone said this in a different way. But if your goals don't scare you, they're not big enough. Yeah. And that's something I really like to live by because- in the beginning oh segueing to my story just really quickly here but in the beginning i think i set my goals very achievable but for me yes. they were like oh, scary goals and then when i started hitting them i was like okay no let's let's actually really throw myself in the deep end here because it's easy to yeah. set you know achievable goals but does that really give you the feeling of like pure winning yeah no. exactly do you know what it is it's more like a to-do list thing like yeah have you ever have you ever put something on your to-do list you've already just done? across just, it, yeah. i do it all the time in trello i'll like have my list next to me that then put it into trello and i'm like Oh, I look at it and I'm like, no, I've already done that one. I'm like, I do it and then I mark it green. It's just like, oh, yeah. It's like good. serotonin. <laughs> yeah. mm, dopamine. Yes. Okay, let's circle back. So you moved to Bali. At what point, just t- for the listeners, that you left corporate until you moved to Bali? What was the timeline there? Oh, good question. Uh, two years, I think. Two years? Oh, a year and a half. No, it would been a year and a half. It was a year, year and a half. half. Yeah. Okay, so you're moving to Bali. And now I think things are really starting to stride for you. Well, yeah, I had a really tough year for COVID. Yeah. But then we've come full circle again now, which is part of it. Let's <laughs> talk about COVID. Let's talk about pivoting during COVID. So talk to the listeners about what happened to you during COVID. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll try and keep it relatively brief, which is not my strong point. Um, <laughs> Five hours later. Yeah, literally. It's like, I think I sent you that meme the other week and it was like me saying long story short and then it's just never like short it's like the whole story still yeah <laughs> it's like me to a t um basically obviously my so i have this is the, well maybe it'll segue into that but i have multiple businesses now but that is still my core business my like sort of baby i guess but Old that, and right. yeah and that was my majority of my like my personal living income mm-hmm. essentially and then Obviously, COVID hit, moved back to Australia, tempor- what I thought was temporarily. Well, I didn't even think I was moving, to be honest. I left all my stuff here. My boyfriend and I went back to sort of spend time with his family and just, quote unquote, ride it out because we thought it would just go away in like a few weeks. Like, this was very early when no one knew what the fuck it was. Yeah. So then we get back and then they just, the world just went nuts. Borders were closing. Everyone's losing their shit, whatever. And Australia, for anyone who doesn't know, was like one of the ones who were the most strict on border closures. So once you got in, you essentially couldn't leave. So my partner's Australian and they need like sign up from the government to leave the country. So then we ended up there for a year and my business is 
completely dependent on the travel economy. So like 80% of my customers are UK based or UK and Europe. And then the rest is like the US. And so it's already relatively seasonal in the sense that they tend to travel in sort of five months of the year. But then when COVID hit, they all couldn't travel. So my whole market was literally just eradicated overnight. Like just bang, like we were still making some money, but like comparative to what we were doing, it was like, we probably did 10% of what we did the year before, if that. And we were, we were set to do like three, 400% of what we'd done the year before. So we did like 1% of what we should have done. And like, obviously everyone knows how COVID it was. It just was out of absolutely fucking nowhere. So that was quite tough for the first sort of four to six months. I was lived in my naive bubble where I was like, it's fine. And I was like, I'm just going to be so prepared. I'm going to keep running the business exactly as it is. Keep playing my team. We're just going to keep cracking on. And then when this whole thing rolls out, we're going to be the smart ones who were sitting here going, see, we're still ready. Like, <laughs> turns out <laughs> that wasn't quite the case. Um, so that was a huge learning curve. But then in the interim, with the problem with like e-commerce businesses is you obviously need like your cash. You need a very good cash flow strategy. So what I didn't want to do was completely eradicate my cash flow during the COVID period. So I decided to start looking at other like means of income or other business ideas and or other ways for my current business to make money. So we pivoted, we ended up moving into apparel, which was more like kind of your like sweatsuit kind of things that you wear around the house. And then I started, well, I actually had my other business, didn't I already? Yeah. And then I started a small agency, like digital agency, but, um, that's kind of, I guess, now all started to sort itself out. But that was a very big learning curve for me. Like, because it's so funny with business, you can think you're just never safe, basically, in the sense that you, you are, oh, there's businesses that have been around for 20, 30 years that something will happen, even not COVID. Like, and before you know it, you're just up against the wall, you know? So, like, you've kind of just, as much as at the time it was horrible, like the worst year of my life. <laughs> The flip side of that is I've learned so much more from it. I, like, I feel like I got a whistle-stop tour of, like, business kind of education in a year that it probably would have taken me three years to get, maybe. Um, so, you know, there's always the silver lining, I guess. Well, I was going to – my next question actually was going to be, I believe that there's a, a magical lesson that you could learn from every situation. As hard as that year was for you, what would be your biggest takeaway from that? I, the first thing that came to my mind when you just said that is passion. So when business inevitably gets tough, if you don't love it, oh my fucking God, <laughs> it is tough. Like it can be tough, but you can love it. And if you're tired, if your business is rooted in your purpose and your passion, it is so much easier to get up and do it every day. If it's not, which like mine arguably isn't in some ways it's difficult for a product to be so rooted in passion I think unless it's serving in some way depending on who you are and what I guess your core values are but for me that was very very difficult so I think that if I had of I mean I could be wrong but my belief is that if I had have built a passion-based business when it got tough it may have just been that little easier to hold on I held on for dear life. <laughs> you did. But that's because that's, I'm so, so, so stubborn like that. Like I just refuse to lose. Like I, I, which I think probably makes me a good business person in some ways. Um, because to be honest, I think 
you need so much resilience, right? Like you've just got to be there to just take every bat to the face that you can. Um, But yeah, I think maybe that would be my biggest learning. And to be honest, I actually think I've really realized doing business with somebody else is also very important to me, which I mean, now obviously. Segway. Segway. (laughs) Because yeah, it's lonely. And like the highs are high, but they're nowhere near as high. And the lows are God awfully low. And you're on your own because no one else really gets it. That's a beautiful answer to that question. And I'm going to segue myself for you is I want to know what is the thing that keeps you motivated? What keeps you driven? Probably the I'm driven in my goals. So the lifestyle, actually, to be honest, it is 100 percent that like I am so in love with my life now the way it is. The thought of ever losing this, like freedom, is just puts the absolute fear of God at me. And then also now I obviously have even larger goals all aligned to the same sort of freedom concept that like just I would love to be able to, you know, support like my family more and just have more. For me now, I've got the freedom. It's just building on the sort of financials, I guess, for me. So to allow more, me to be able to do more, I guess. Um so that is probably what motivates me, I would say. Yeah, because yeah. you're very driven. You've been driven your whole life. And so yeah. I wanted to get and learn, you know, what is that thing that drives Renee? Well, I grew up poor, like quite poor. And I don't know if that bothers everyone as much as it bothered me, maybe. But what I didn't like was just seeing how much money can rule you if you don't have it. Like if you have none, you're ruled by it, right? Whereas when you have some, it just allows you the space to think about and care for other things. So like when you're in survival mode, that's all you have. That's all you have the mental capacity to deal with really. Like you're too busy thinking about paying the bills, like all these different things. And it's just like, it just sucks the life out of you. And so I think growing up in an environment where I just saw my mom working herself to the bone to give us, like the best thing about my mom is she never let us feel it in the sense that we were never the kids that it was like, we couldn't go on school trips or, you know, my mom would just instead like work. She literally worked three jobs. I remember we'd like wake up at like three in the morning and go and pick her up from like an office building that she was cleaning. And then she'd be up at five in the morning, like driving a truck to move furniture for someone. And she just did like all these different things. And she, my mom's very hardworking, but like she always worked hard, not smart. And so I looked at it like that. I was like, right, I want to make a lot of money because this just looks horrible. Like this is horrible. It's stressful as hell. Two, I always wanted like just a nice, like I always love like nice homes. I love travel. Like I wanted the like ability to do those sorts of things. And then I kind of looked at the, I was like, it's got to be a better way to do it than this. Like I've always been very much the work smart, not hard mentality. Yeah. I work hard. So I think saying that sounds ridiculous, but I don't, you and I have had this conversation recently actually where yeah. I'm not as tied in. Like my partner I think is, has a bit more of a mindset not even consciously that I think he thinks he has to work really hard. Whereas for me, I'm always looking for the loophole. I'm always looking for the efficiency. Why is that though? Because in my theory that people gain that belief because of their parents. And it sounds like your mom was the one who, where it would make sense if you thought that you had to work hard to make money. Yeah, I know. Well, to be fair though, my dad actually was probably much more like me in terms of 
try he was a real like my mum used to joke he was a con artist he's not a con artist but in the sense that she was always like he's so he's such a like I don't know what's a good word for it like a fluke like my dad was an OG manifester as well. Yeah. <laughs> like literally he would just find like good things would quote unquote, like always happen to him. Like he'd just fall into like these opportunities, but then he was terrible with money. So he would throw it away. Like we were like rich and then we were poor. Like he'd have heaps of money and then none, but he did, a, he did do a very good job at like finding ways to do it without having to do much. If that makes sense, maybe. Yeah. So I guess if I really had to dig, it might be that, but I moved out so young that I, I do truly think that maybe there's a lot more that I've kind of had to develop myself. I, I think I think it's just my – I'm very inquisitive, right? So even my whole life I'm, I'm always like I'm very interested in things and I'm very interested in how they work, how they operate, and I'm very quick, like I say, to find efficiencies or inefficiencies in things. Like even if it's not about business, like any particular activity, even as a kid, I would just look at something and be like – that's like the dumbest way to do that. Like that doesn't make sense at school, like everything. I would just be like, this is just so inefficient. So I think to be honest, it probably doesn't even have anything to do with like business or making money in that capacity. It was more just, I kind of innately find I'm innately like a problem solver. I think, yeah. Maybe. yeah. I see that in you actually. Yeah. Okay. That's, I love this conversation actually, because I think a lot of people are going to relate to this and especially hearing about what your goals are and driven by goals. I know a lot of people listening also are mm. driven by the same things. And hearing your story is so inspiring because you've achieved a lot of those big goals that you set for yourself already. Yeah. Which is amazing. I know you had that realization the other day. You're like, holy shit, I'm actually like, yeah, I've actually is. done all these things that I've wanted to do. Yeah. It's crazy. I think it was extra sort of emotional for me this time because, so like this time last year, I was or maybe earlier than whatever, pre-COVID, I was pretty much there, but then with COVID, I think I just hit a bit of a panic attack. And so then when I kind of sat with it all and was like, oh, okay, I'm actually I'm pretty much exactly where I was, which is great. It just felt, I felt like I deserved it even more because of the last year and a half. Because like, of the struggle. Yeah, exactly. Because of the struggle. Um, but one thing I would say on the, you just like triggered me for a second about, oh, the achieving the, you know, sort of like goals or whatever. I think one of the most useful exercises I did early on is really drill down how much I need to create the freedom because it's not as much as people think. Is this a dreamlining exercise by yeah, Tim Ferriss? you can do – I, I don't um, like part of that, but, like, he just does this exercise where he's, like, essentially, like, close your eyes and think about what your dream – I could be taking bits of, like, three different things of the same. But this is what – I'm just going to say whatever the version of my mind is. And it's, like, you close your eyes and you think about – what it is you want your ideal life to look like, but not on like, you know, some ridiculous day where you're like, oh, I'm flying a jet on a holiday somewhere. Just like an average day, like a Wednesday. What does just your average like Wednesday look like? What can you hear? Like, you know, your children in the room, is your partner in the room? Can you hear like, you know, what is it? What can you smell? Like whatever. And then what does your day look like? What are you doing that day? And I did that exercise and I'm not overly materialistic. So I like nice things, but I have no concern for, like, brands. Like, I'm not interested in buying a Gucci bag. I don't give mm. a shit, right? Mm. Like, those sorts of things just don't fascinate me at all. So when I did mine, it was like, okay, I'm near the beach. I wake up. Partner's there. Kids are there later on. Um, I get up. I walk my dog on the beach. I eat a really healthy breakfast. I work on something that I love in my own time. You know, so, like, 10, 11 o'clock, I start work. Then I finish in the afternoon. I'll go to the gym. 
Then I have like dinner with friends, like a really nice dinner, a couple of glass of wine, maybe like watching sunset or something. Then I'm in bed with a book. Like it sounds so lame, but I was like, that's pretty much it. And then you put a price next to everything. And I was like, this is just really not as difficult as I thought. Like, I think you really can overcomplicate things in your mind. And so then what you do is, let's say you are someone maybe who is kind of more concerned with more materialistic things, like you want lots of clothes and whatever. Well, then it's about priorities, right? So let's say arguably that was an element of it for me. And I wrote, okay, I want X, Y, Z clothes and brands and I want a car and I want this and I want that. That's all absolutely fine. You do the cost analysis of that. And then either your timeline takes a little bit longer and or you sacrifice one priority for the other. So if you go, do you know what? Actually, how much do I care about the clothes? I don't care that fucking much. Fuck it. I'd way rather not have to wake up and go to a job I hate. Perfect. There we go. Then your timeline just gets even shorter. Mm -hmm. So for me, once I did that, I was like, this is really not as hard as I thought. Like living somewhere. So like Bali is a perfect example. And there's lots of Bali's now. There's Portugal, Costa Rica, like Tulum, like there's so many places around the world that are set up for digital nomads, which are like relatively inexpensive. You can live in Bali like a baller and actually it can cost you a fortune or you can live here relatively cheap. But when you kind of break it all down, you would, like I sort of looked at it like, right, how much money is this? Even doing like the consulting thing that I was going to do, you'd need a couple of clients. Like, you know, it depends what you, you could be a nutritionist, you could be doing financial advice, like literally a million things that, when you take out all the other stuff, you actually don't need that much. And then the minute you're coming from a place of like, not coming from a place of lack because you're in, you know, your happy space, then you tend to start creating more opportunities of money anyway. I just went way off on a tangent there. No, I love that exercise. <laughs> the dream line. I know the, I like your version way better, actually. The visualization. So cool, Look, yeah. Tim, I've got a bit of feedback for you. Tim, we're writing you a letter because <laughs> we did the dreamlining and we have some points. <laughs> Tim, he's got this one part, which is like... Is it the financial breakdown? Well, some no, he part doesn't, doesn't like make sense. Seeing, doing, being or something. And two yeah. of them, to me, are just far too similar. It just doesn't really make sense. You know what's weird? I also did that exercise like three years ago. Yeah. I wonder if we did it at the same time. Oh, funny. Uh, that was the thing that also set me on my freedom journey too. Because yeah. I was like, I was like, holy shit, this is easy. I don't even need that much money. Right. And that's also when I started into manifestation because things happened so weird that I was like, wait, how did that just manifest? I'm like, oh, because I wrote it down. Anyways. So good. Yeah, love that. Okay. Not about me. No, now can we talk about me? Okay. um, No, that was all. I love the way you tell stories, actually, because there's always (laughs) value in it. You always wrap it around to value. So I'm sure the podcast listeners can really appreciate that. I love the way you give compliments. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I love you. <laughs> you just know that's my love language. <laughs> okay, I have my last question for you. If you were starting all over again, what would you do differently? Oh, this is a lame answer because it kind of comes full circle saying I already said, but I'd load my passion into my business from the beginning. Okay. So I've actually, my business is now, just to give my little original brand baby a bit of credit i love it more now than i did three years ago way more why because i've started to build it more i think i did i i think there were too many points where i was distracted by what everyone else was doing thinking what was you know what i thought i should do versus just building something i love Mm. and now i just give way less fucks and i just build (laughs) what i love so now i create content i like like it's in the way that I like it to look, all those sorts of things. And I've turned it into a brand that I really personally like. Like I wear my own brand now, you know, like, so I think I would probably, yeah, if I was to do it all again, 
I would load passion in from the beginning. I'd probably partner with somebody that has a skill set that maybe I don't have, but more importantly, like is aligned on like long-term values, goals, all those sorts of things. And, you know, it's like, like basically what I've done with you, like <laughs> I partner with a you on that business. Um, and then I would ask for help more. I think the longer you do it without asking for help, your ego gets in the way, the harder it gets, because then you have this concept in your mind that you're too far along to ask for help now, because you're like, well, I should know this. And I think that in the beginning, people are so eager to help. Like when you're right at the start, people are like, oh my God, good for you. Like, this is awesome. Everyone wants to support you. I could have like probably gotten a lot more. I probably could have learned what I've learned a lot faster if I was willing to lean on other people. Like I've, I've, this is something about you that I really admire is you are always willing to invest in like your learning and development. Like you're the first person to go get a coach, do a course. Like, and I've definitely held myself back by not doing that. I'm just, I've always been such a self, I'm, I'm like a real independent kind of learner, I guess. But I just think now I would absolutely have invested in, like if there were courses that I could have learned from people that have done the same thing, I would have just soaked up every inch of it that I could have. Because just learn 10 times faster. Yeah. There's no point learning it the hard way if you don't have to. It's also expensive. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Because your time is your best asset. I actually lied that wasn't my last question. Okay. <laughs> my last question is what's the best advice you've ever received? Ooh. I actually don't know this answer. Neither, because I feel like you and I are the same like this. We're so, like, on our own journey that we don't really listen to other people anyway. Maybe maybe talk about um, – I think you could think of an answer. What about, like, Tony, Timmy? Oh, God. Do you know the best piece of advice that if I could give to myself, I wish <laughs> you would? <laughs> Quote Renee. <laughs> <laughs> Because I have been, I've fallen victim to it myself, which is like, and I think I said this to you ages ago, like never take advice from someone who you wouldn't trade places with. Not, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to want their entire life, but like facets of it, at least in the area that you're looking for advice, right? So not even necessarily advice, but there's always a lot of people giving unsolicited advice and you'll notice it gets into your psyche a little bit, you know, where people are like, kind of try and dictate what I don't know is right for you on some level or something like that and it's just distracting and it's just demotivating demoralizing and it's a complete fucking waste of time like only you really know what's right for you and then the only people you should ever take advice from have either done what you've what you're trying to do in some capacity and have been successful at it or understand at least otherwise just don't fucking listen do you want to hear something so weird? Yeah. <laughs> I got that question from like a question box I saw on Instagram today and she said the exact same answer as the Right, really? Yes. Yes. No way. She phrased it differently, but it was like basically it was basically the same, same thing. thing. I was yeah. like, because I want to know what your answer is because that's a really good question. Because it's the compare I think we're so because of social media now, everyone's so guilty of the comparison mentality. And comparison is only healthy if you're working towards something, I think. Mm-hmm. And like I think our generation tends to admire all the wrong things at the moment. And, you know, like people will look at girls on social media who, I don't know, have a six pack or I don't think six packs is really a thing for girls. I don't really know, but like, you know, a really big booty and really wide hips and all these, and then a small waist and all these like really unrealistic expectations. One, it's not real, first of all, but two, like 
you know, everybody's just so different. You can't really ever recreate what someone else has exactly. So I, I don't know. I just think you just got to stay in your own lane, don't you? Yeah, that's some advice that you actually gave me quite early on. Mm. I think it was like probably the day I met you. <laughs> and I actually, it sounds weird, but I never had heard that before. And I was so naive to it. And I was taking advice from a lot of people that yeah. I maybe shouldn't have. And once I heard that, I was like, oh my gosh. And just yeah. really put up my blinders. You're good though, because I think you, especially now, I think maybe earlier you might have been a little more impressionable by what other people had, would have maybe given you advice. Just because you see the best in people. So you assume if someone tells you, if someone's acting like they know what they're talking about, because you believe the best in people, you're like, oh, this person must know what they're talking about. But usually a lot of people can talk a lot of shit. <laughs> <laughs> And I think now where it's like a positive thing is you are not afraid to ask for advice and for help. Mm. And so therefore you learn quickly from people that are in the space that you're in and everything like that. And that's the area I could be better at is I need to learn to ask for help more. So there's a balance, right? Yeah. Just asking, taking advice from the right people, I think. is very important. Yeah. And then just everyone else, just close them out. Yes. Put on the air conditioner. Cancel, clear, delete them. Exactly. Okay, well, thank you so much for sharing your story. There was so many valuable takeaways. I'm going to listen again and take notes, actually. I feel like that was just, that was just so long. But <laughs> but I could just... I was just seeing you relishing in all of that. Like, I, I do get... It's funny because I do love talking about... I think... I mean, this is going to sound so cliche because this is obviously why we started the Freedom Club, but that's why it's so aligned with me is that I have noticed... I mean, even today I was listening to a podcast and they talk about what you should do and finding your purpose and... Essentially, it's like, what do you spend your spare time reading about, researching, talking about, whatever. And this is the stuff that I will literally spend my spare time talking about because I'm so, like, if I could just take every single person who is me three years ago and just go up to them and just, like, sit them down and then just give them a little shake and then just, like, write them a little list and be like, this is how easy it is. (laughs) Off you go. Like, it would just make me infinitely happy because I, I just think about how miserable I was and how not easy because it wasn't easy it was hard but it was easy at the same time if that makes sense like yeah making the decision was easy and then it's hard to to do it but i don't know like so yeah i do get a bit fired up i guess because i just want everyone to just know how achievable it is and just just do it and just know you just wouldn't regret it you know well good thing we're making the freedom club isn't it exactly <laughs> you guys we have the we have so much coming in. I'm so I'm, like, excited. frothing every single day about this. I'm, like, a ca- caramel mochi- macchiato. <laughs> <laughs> caramel macchiato. Oh, my gosh. That is not on brand for you right now. You're kind of dairy. <laughs> I, I can't even have any of that. Caramel oat macchiato. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Renee. I'm sure all the listeners love this episode. I was so packed with value, and I just always love hearing your story. And just... I just love that you were, like, this way at three years old. Can you just picture a five-year-old me just walking around yes. with, like, a fanny pack? Just, just sassy. Yeah. <laughs> you this. You this. I'm, I can see it perfectly. And I, I just feel like the people that are buying from you, like, they knew that you had just picked their flowers. But they're like, oh, she's so cute. <laughs> well, I was, like, platinum blonde and blue-eyed when I was a baby as well. So I think it was hard for them to be like... This little criminal is trying to sell us our own flowers that we've spent years like yeah. growing. Thank you. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. I love that for you. Okay, well, thank you so much for coming on. And we're going to do a swap now. So we're going to hear my are. story, which will be coming next week. So you guys don't have to listen to us for three hours today. <laughs> but thanks so much, everyone, for listening and tuning in. 
we have just so much exciting content, so much exciting things happening. Our big launch is happening September 1st. Um, and more details on that will be dropping as we get closer to the date. But just freak. if this resonated with you and you're like, OK, I'm ready. I want to do it. I don't know how. What we're creating with the Freedom Club will be the answer to the how. Exactly. And what we're creating is basically for Renee three years ago and me three years ago so that we didn't have to go through a long and hard journey. And we could be sipping freaking mojitos on the beach two years, three years earlier. Absolutely. Oh, imagine. <laughs> okay, well, thanks so much for tuning in, you guys. And we'll talk to you all next week. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.